Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 318. I had a conversation with Doug Jackson. I met Doug through, well, it was a two-step process. My friend Doug Cornett said, you got to hear about this guy, Doug Jackson. You got to talk to my friend James Payne. So I talked to James Payne and James says, oh my gosh, Doug Jackson, fascinating guy. Got to talk to him. So I called Doug and here we are for this episode. Doug Jackson, interesting man. He built the SV Seeker, a 74-foot steel origami hull junk-rigged cargo motor sailor in his front yard from scratch with the help from volunteers from all over the planet. And I mean, just think about that for a second. 74 foot in his yard. It's great. Uh, He's been a computer programmer and a teacher. He built a submarine with a buddy. Uh, He came from a very strict, limiting religious background, but now embraces all the differences that the world has to offer. He's ready to set sail. This boat is going to be a workboat, a research vessel, a charter vessel, and it's really a dream come true for Doug, uh, and it's exciting to hear him talk all about it. He, he also gave me some interesting facts about chickens that I didn't know, and if you want to see more information about whether or not a chicken is the most dangerous creature on the planet, you definitely check out the links page for this episode, which will be on heyhumanpodcast.com. Anyway, really fun conversation. I had a, a wonderful time talking to Doug, and uh, he was a character. Usual stuff. Social media for Hey Human Podcast can be found on Instagram and Facebook. My personal social media is under Susan Ruthism, S-U-S-A-N-R-U-T-H-I-S-M, and that's on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can email me, Susan, at HeyHumanPodcast.com. Speaking of the official HeyHumanPodcast.com website, as I mentioned, there's a links page and every episode gets its own pile of links. This one is no exception. Go there to see more about the guests and what we've talked about and books and magazines and YouTube videos and all that good stuff. Great place to go for a deep dive. Also on the website, you will find the store. If you want to help support Hey Human, uh, go to the store and get t-shirts and hats and book bags and pencil cases and all the things that make you feel good about, I don't know what it would make you feel good about other than just supporting the show. Um, they are cool outfit outfits. Now, I guess you could make an outfit, a Hey Human outfit out of that if you wore the hat and the shirt and the stretchy pants. All right, make an outfit, take a picture, send it to me. Now I want to see it. Uh, I happen to know firsthand that the leggings are super duper comfy, uh, well-made, I partnered with Art of Wear to make the clothes, and you just go there on the storefront, super safe and secure, and shop away. Uh, Also, (laughs) that was a bit of a tangent, wasn't it? Also on heyhumanpodcast.com, you'll find all the old episodes. So if you are on apps like iTunes and stuff, I think they only show 300 episodes at a time. If you want to go back to the very beginning, a very good place to start according to Julie Andrews, um, you will find those early episodes there and every episode for that matter. Rate and review and subscribe to Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Share it. Please definitely share it around. Send your favorite episode to your friends, your enemies. There's a contribute button on heyhumanpodcast.com. If you'd like to help keep her ad free, go ahead and click that contribute button and every amount helps and is greatly appreciated. Check out SusanRuth.com where you'll find more stuff about me, interviews and my artwork and projects I'm working on. Go to the official Susan Ruth YouTube channel. What? It's true, there is one. And that's just youtube.com slash official Susan Ruth. If you're into music, then check out my music on iTunes or Spotify or Amazon Music and Apple Music. There's all the musical, there's so many music places. There's a long list, but I'm on there 
All I Ever Wanted Was Everything is the most recent album. Check that out too. And introducing a new show. My friend Mara and I have a show called Are We There Yet? And currently you can watch episodes on YouTube. The best way to get to that is to go to the Instagram, Are We There Yet? IG, and there's a link in the bio. We're at 68 subscribers <laughs> as of today on that YouTube channel. As soon as we get to 100 subscribers, we can name the show what we want so it won't just be numbers and letters and very confusing to try and tell people the link to go to it. So please go and subscribe and watch our show. It's about sex and relationships and life things. Pretty soon the podcast will be up and running. We are working on the website now, so that's very exciting. All right, that's it. Uh, thank you for listening. Be well, stay safe. Please take care of each other. Please have each other's backs. Um, spread love, be love, be kind. And thank you for listening. Here we go. Doug Jackson, welcome to Hey Human. Pleasure to be here. I love the name <laughs> Hey Human. That's perfect. Oh, thank, thank you very much. You know, it's one of my things too. I, I've traveled a little bit of the world and people are people wherever you go. You know, put politics and religion and cultural things aside. We all want to be happy and we all want to try doing that. I agree with that statement. Well, let's learn about you a little bit. Where are you from originally? Born and raised in Brownsville, Texas, across from Matamoros, Mexico. And uh, I have a great Spanish accent. I just wish I could speak the language better. You didn't grow up speaking Spanish? Oh, yeah. Trae la pala. Bring me the shovel. Oh, okay. I dug ditches with Manuel. He taught me the Spanish I know. So A workman's Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. Bring the shovel. Yeah. Mas trabajo, por favor. Listo. You, you do have a good accent. I do. I, it, it really throws people because I, I roll off a few phrases and they think I'm fluent. And then they just tear off. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. You know. What was childhood like? A very doting mother uh, and a dad that was trying to kill us all. And I liked him the best. The field with tractors and brush hogs and ditch witches. And uh, he flew an airplane very badly and we were his passengers. Uh, so uh, he was the exciting part of the growing up. And mother was the, uh, the calm, steady, boring side of growing up. And I think most of my life, I tried to be my mother. And lately, I've decided... Lately, as in the last 15 years, I've decided, you know, dad was having a lot more fun. So I'm going to be more like dad. Are they still with us? No, they are not. Okay. Three older brothers, uh, not terribly close to them. I was the, oh, we're pregnant again. One that was way at the end. Me too. And, uh, huh? Me too. I'm the baby of the family. So yeah. uh, there's a there's few years between me and the next one's up. And we were raised very you know, there wasn't any kind of structure or control over us too much. Uh, it was very religious, but beyond that, you know, you could you could go off and do what you want. So, you know, we had a pilot. We had a, uh, um, I don't know what the next one would call himself. He was kind of an adventurous. And then we had a tennis player and then we had me. What kind of religion? Which one? Church of Christ. Ooh, that one's a little stricter. The one that sucks a lot of the fun out of fundamentalism. Yeah, it was very rigid, very structured, very, you know, I knew everybody that was going to go to hell, and that's most people, and why. And so uh, I took a departure from that starting about age 23, and I just kept going. So now I'm, you know, if you're doing something and you're happy with it, two thumbs up for you, good job. Don't, don't tell me how to live my life anymore. I've had enough of that. How did you come to that moment? And did your parents freak out? No, they didn't like it. My dad was gone, but my mother, ah, she absolutely did not like that. Uh, neither did the rest of the family pretty much. Um, but that decision was made for me, uh, not for them. And it came on real slowly. You know, you had to, you had to just a trip to the Grand Canyon and study some geology. It's like, wow, this planet's not 6,000 years old. I, I don't think so, you know? And then looking at um, the fossil collections at the University of Texas and the natural science, and it's like, yeah, no, there's more to it than what I've been told. And so, you know, it was the slow drift into it or out so of it, rather. The rest of your family stayed rooted in religion? Yeah, I have one brother that's cool. He, he and I can talk. The rest, no. 
So it causes arguments, in other words. <laughs> well, uh, it's worse than arguments. It's more like banishment. Oh, no. Yeah, no. That's Everybody says, oh, no. It's like, no, that's actually a good thing. You know, when it's not working for you, being around it just doesn't help. And, um, I mean, I agree with that. You can force it to work, I guess, but then you're forcing it to work. And it's just, I have friends now a lot more than I used to. I don't pass judgment on people nearly like I used to. Uh, so I like the path that I'm going down now. You know, okay. so I'm, I'm happy with that. If they don't want to come along, that's fine. I wish them the best. But, you know, DNA is just DNA. We all share it. I believe that, too. Did you have a passion for tinkering as a kid? I had a dad that would come home and hand something to me and say, go put this on the truck. And it's like, oh, OK, what is this? And I'd go figure out, oh, this is an alternator. And yeah. So I started off uh, tinkering and then we had a shop and a warehouse and uh, farm equipment and stuff that we were uh, breaking all the time. So, you know, you get pretty handy with a with a blowtorch and a welder and uh, uh, bending metal back into shape. And, you know, uh, yeah, I guess we did. He, he um, would put me into projects more than he'd work with me. He, he didn't, uh, you know, stand out there over, over you and, and show you how to do something. He just kind of put you on the path and said, good luck. <laughs> and that worked. Yeah. I imagine if you had the inclination to figure something out, that that's the way to do it. I don't know an inclination it starts off with uh, you better get it fixed and working or you're going to be out here in the sun tomorrow too <laughs> uh, until it is working so it's, it's almost uh, but I really I really fell in love with it I I enjoyed the the problem solving part of it and the uh, the challenge of getting it done with the wrong tools and uh, in the wrong place and that became part of what I do on the boat too it's the same type of construction methods you know we don't know I don't know what I'm doing. And so it's a matter of learning it and figuring it out and going along. So it's like a, a puzzle to you. And that's really what makes it very interesting to me. I can do it like a hayfield too. You know, hayfields are big things. They're, they're like acreages. And there's thousands of bales of hay out there and all of them have to be picked up. So it's, you get that ability to do the mundane repeated work and just, you know, put some music on and you know, put your nose to the grindstone. So I had that built in too. And I, I, I very much appreciate my dad giving me that because, I mean, from the age, I mean, I couldn't even pick up a bale of hay. Now, we're not talking the round bales. We're talking years before when they were rectangular things that sit out in the field. They weighed 65, 70 pounds. And I couldn't pick them up, but I could roll them into a straight line for the rest of the guys to pick them up. And so I started off at that age working the fields and uh, in the summer. So it's just blazing hot. You know, you watch for the rattlesnakes and uh, it's, uh, it's a good, good way to grow up. Was this your family farm or did you work on other farms? Uh, yes. Yes to both. Yeah. So we had a small farm. We had a trailer park. We had uh, um, fields that we worked with other people. Um, he got me a job at a nursery. Uh, so doing the same kind of work. Um, you know, it's, it's all. And then we had a feed and seed store too. So if nothing else, I'm hauling bags of feed out, and loading them into customers' cars and doing things like that. We had Western wear, so I could go back and get boots for the girls, you know, fitting boots on the cowboys up front. So I pulling the dead chickens out of the, the, the breeder. That was uh, my job, too. So oh, man. those things, I tell you what, I, to this day, it's like everybody looks at chickens and it's like, no, they're not cute. Now, they're they're little dinosaurs just looking to kill each other. That's all they are. I've met a couple cute ones. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you haven't seen them stomp their neighbor into the mesh, you know. It's just, no. it's just over and it's like, yeah. It was a very diversified growing up, you know. It was all break it and fix it and get it done. I feel like a feed and seed store would be a cool place for a kid to grow up. All the characters that must have come in there. It was, yeah, because most of our business was done into Mexico. My dad was very big in putting poultry into Mexico after World War II. And so our customers came from the interior. And they were kind of the what would become the middle class of Mexico, because back then chickens were unheard of in Mexico. You know, they had they had the barnyard variety, but not the the big long barns that you see nowadays. And so we were helping them move to the big long barns. In fact, it was funny. You know, if you if you kill an old chicken and hang him up in the meat rack, his meat's yellow. You probably would leave him on the market shelf. I mean, you wouldn't touch it, but that's the way they saw their chickens down there. So. One of the products we had to sell 
was yellow dye because you're inefficient if you wait for the chicken to get that old. So we, you know, you, we grew up to production age, kill it, but we had to feed it yellow dye at the, its last supper. So when it was hanging up in these old Mexican meat markets, it was a yellow chicken and they just flew off the shelf because big fat, you know, yellow chicken where it should be. But you let them be white and they wouldn't touch the thing. So Isn't that, that was the old Mexico. Now it's changed. It's all Walmart and Costco yeah. down there now. Wow. I learned something new every day. I love that. <laughs> uh, okay. So a feed and seed. There was another thing you mentioned from, oh, the, the trailer, trailer park. park. Yeah. The trailer park must have really been an eye opener. Oh, it was, it was fun. It was, uh, you know, it was out toward the port. So we had shrimpers and we had retirees and, you know, I, I installed um, water lines and hooked them up to trailers and you know, we put in a sanitary sewer system and I pumped septic tanks and, and just whatever needed to be done, mow the grass, clean up the palm fronds, that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. It's just, it was like, it was just work, you know? Yeah, but I think of a kid running around in that environment. And yeah, that was different. You couldn't do that today. My dad would be in jail so many times if he was trying to do this today. It was ridiculous. Yeah. How do you mean? I was driving. Well, I didn't, I didn't have a driver's license for the truck. So I drive the tractor into town. So, you know, I could have been driving the GMC pickup, but I'm driving this 580C case uh, uh, backhoe and I'm driving a, a International Harvester 650. You know, these are not the things you want a, a 13 year old kid driving, but here I am just going downtown with it. It's like, you know, I got to get downtown and what do I got? I got a tracker. So it's like, that's what I take. I feel like that is America in the 50s and 60s, that, that yeah. rural yeah. America vibe. Yeah. And I'm very blessed for having gotten to grow up in that, the, the end of that, because I had tried to get the same thing for my son. And it's like, that was hard to do. You know, I'm, I'm teaching. And it's like, I don't have the resources to put him into all these different situations. You know, I've tried that as I best. But nowadays, it's like, you know, like I said, you, you get thrown in jail for doing the stuff my dad let us do. And there's no way. What got you attracted to boats and water? You know, I, I really wasn't. Um, I grew up on the coast of Brownsville, so we had the bay. Uh, so I'm familiar with the ocean, but it really was a decision to do something that was going to challenge me and that scared me and it terrified me. And I kept thinking about why does that terrify me so much? And it's just like, it's, it's all new. It's all unknown. It's, you know, you, you think about this and everybody does this too. It's like, you know, it's so dangerous to sail outside of land. And um, we have these real conceived notions about um, how dangerous the world is. And I kind of got on this path that I think most of that is bunk. And it's certainly, you know, it's either I change myself to have the courage to do some of these things or I don't. Either way, I'm going to die. So I decided to be more like my dad. And it's like, okay, if we're going to die, let's die doing something fun. He should have died in a plane crash. The man really said he just had a heart attack. You know, that was it. But the plane crash should have been his. Ending. So, you know, I'll probably die of a heart attack too. But most people that see me sail will probably tell you that he'll die sailing. Well, you've made your, a name for yourself on YouTube, building a gigantic 74-foot vessel in your yard. What inspired yeah, that? Yeah, the front yard up in Tulsa, North Tulsa. Yeah. How does one decide to do that? Well, I, you know, I, it was that I wanted to go sailing. I wanted to do something that, that would scare me. And uh, even building the boat was, was toward that end because of its size. Um, it's, it was outside my comfort zone. I like that. Um, it's affordable. If you do it yourself, you learn everything there is to know about it. If you do it yourself. And I look at people now that they only oh, they have a boat Well, I'm going to take it into the Marina and have this done. It's like, I know how to do that. So I don't have to take my boat to a Marina to have things done. I actually built the system on the boat. We cast our own propeller blades out of, you know, melting the metal down and pouring them ourselves. So, you know, I can do that. Um, I know how to, to wire. I know how to take care of engines, kind of. I'm getting better at it. Um, so I, I kind of like the idea of if you can't afford it, then learn how to do it yourself. And that came from my dad, too. You know, we didn't hire people to do things for us. We went out and did it ourselves. Good, bad, or indifferent. We, you know, the third time we get it right. 
still, what what's the impetus to make you decide to do this? Because some people that are good with building and all that stuff, maybe they'll get a, a kit car or they'll build ships and bottles. But to look at your yard and think, oh, I think a 74-foot boat sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I, I admire the people who build uh, uh, things that are intricate and complex, but I wanted something that was uh, more of a physical challenge, uh, more on the scale of something that could hurt you back if you make a mistake, um, something that was perceived to me as dangerous. Other people, you know, build boats all their life. It's like, oh, that's, that's well, yeah, it is for them. But for me, it was a step in the right direction of um, starting to build some courage and moving away from my fears. You know, I, I wanted to stop letting my fear control me and let me make decisions. Yeah, I went to college, right? Uh, that was an accident. But I went to college and, you know, I asked my instructors, like, okay, what do I do to guarantee that I have a job? He said, well, you get, uh, you get, you do your computer science uh, major and then you do a math and an accounting minor. Oh, man, if I had known after four years of math and accounting minor, I would have slipped my wrist if I'd known the pain that that, that was going to cause. I mean, that was just horrible. Um, and, yeah, I guess they helped me out. He was right. He answered my question perfectly. You know, what, if you're scared that you're going to, you know, have trouble in life, what's the easiest path you make? And so that's what I did. And I was married and I had a kid and, you know, I, I was the, the, the best dad I could be, which was pretty bad, but the best dad I could be for that duration. And, um, you know, I'm done with that now. And I was like, wow, that's, we've got two lifetimes, apparently. You know, you have that lifetime and you got this next one, the next one to be, you know, more, a lot more. So 74 feet more. Why did you think you weren't a great dad? Were you just busy and working? No, I've been told I wasn't a great dad. So I'm just going on my feedback here. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> did you go into accounting first? No, I, uh, I went or into computer sales and programming. Uh, and I, I did some instructions and teaching. I learned I really liked teaching. And then I went back to programming. You know, it's just whatever I could do to uh, um, step up. Teaching doesn't pay very well. But once I got writing code, I could change jobs every 18 months and get a raise and do something new that was interesting. And I did that for uh, most of my career. So it moved me around. I could live in the foreign countries and teach and I could come back to the United States and I could program and make good money. Um, and then I finally landed a job here in Tulsa after 9-11. Uh, Boeing said goodbye. And so I was a contractor and I left and found a job out here in Tulsa with uh, a gas company. And it was a it was a cush job, you know, it was fun. But then it was like, it was so stable. It's like, if you're going to do something, this is the moment. And so I decided, okay, I can, I can build an airplane or I could build a boat. And I settled on the boat. You know, so there wasn't anything that really drew me to a boat. There was something that drew me to do something that's challenging and rewarding in the end. And eventually going to require you to have, um, some ability to overcome the fears that I was carrying with me my whole life. Were your fears rooted from the religious background or just being a human being in a weird world? Yeah, I think it's more just being a human being in a real world. Um, the religious background, how it handicapped me was it made me a bigot. You know, you, you're hey human. And I just love that. You know, it's because it's it, it, it covers that we're all on this planet together, you know, with all of our variations. And um, that religion doesn't do that. It says we are this little group clustered. And, and when you step outside of this, you get smacked back into it. And this is where your safe zone is. So, yeah, yeah you know what? Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe my fears do come from that because you're inside this little shell and you feel really comfortable. You're well supported inside of that. And once you break outside of that, then you realize that the world is a much more interesting as well as complicated place. Does that make sense? It does. What do you okay. think was one of your earlier memories of having that challenged, having that notion challenged that everything should be a particular way? And if it's not that particular way, it's wrong. What was the <laughs> aha moment that pulled you out of that or started to pull you out of it? Um, I was a summer camp director for the church in question. <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know, you get to... Uh, look behind the curtain and see the little man pulling the levers because it's such a political 
an infighting and bigoted type structure back behind it. The, the love and the kindness um, was thin the deeper you get into it. And um, I think I saw a lot more true love and kindness when I was years later far outside of it. And I was, you know, interfacing with people in the LGBT community and um, just walks of life that I would have never gone near as a 19-year-old because I looked at them as, oh, that's that's wrong. And now I look at them as like, they're just making different decisions and they're happy. Um, I got no problem with that. Yeah. Happiness is a better place to be, don't you think? <laughs> Yeah, I think we often forget, you know, this is the uh, pursuit of happiness is a is a key part of what we are in the United States. And I think we kind of are missing that sometimes, you know, it's like I, I don't really care what policies you uh, support politically or religiously. It's like if you're pursuing your happiness, I think you're doing a fine job. It is fascinating when people are deeply entrenched in their hate and bigotry, how little they see that of themselves. Oh, yeah. I thought I was fine. Yeah. yeah. It's not until you get, you know, um, the ability to see in color, I think, that you appreciate the ability to see in color. You know, I saw the world in black and white and it's like, I'm, I'm good. It's like, now I look back, it's like, no, dude, you are not. <laughs> when I look out into the world and I see how limited the life was that I was li living, you know, it's just a shame that so many people don't learn to take advantage of this country and the freedoms that we have in it, the ability to do something like this in your front yard. I mean, it doesn't have to be a boat. It could be a piece of art. It could be music. It, you know, so many people, they live their lives making so many excuses about why they can't do this or that. And it's just, it's just terrible. You know, they come to the end of their life and with all these regrets. And I may come to my life prematurely <laughs> because of something I chose to do, but I'm not going to end my life with regrets. I'm going to have tried everything I wanted to try. Fear is a tricky one, and it definitely hobbles people from experiencing the best of themselves and the best of everything around them. Yeah, I agree. Well, you made the plan. It took you 10 years to build the boat, but you yeah. didn't do it alone. You That's kind of the coolest part of the whole story because I did not expect that. I thought I'm going to be you know, building this boat for every how many years it takes. And uh, I was making these videos because I had that little bit of instructional teacher side of me. And um, I enjoyed the videos that I was looking at on YouTube for how do you weld steel together, you know, and how do you do this? And so it's my way of giving back a little bit. And uh, I had this guy write me and he says, uh, you know, I'm thinking about building a steel boat. I'd like to come work with you for a couple of weeks. And I thought, well, yeah, sure. I mean, that sounds all right. And we had a blast. You know, he's he's this ultra devout Roman Catholic guy. And so, you know, he, he finally gave up on trying to convert me. But, uh, you know, we we worked together well and he enjoyed it. And he, uh, at the end of two weeks, just made his decision that he was going to go out and buy a boat. <laughs> and so, you know, that, that went into a video that, you know, and people saw, oh, this, he's got somebody there working with him. And then somebody else said, hey, I'd like to come work with you. I said, well, yeah, okay. And uh, it, it turns out I had this little uh, studio apartment at my house there. Um, so I could just put them up in the apartment. So after a while, it became a calendar. It's like, no, you can't come. I've got, you know, two locals and one guy from Germany now. And so I'm full. And so you can have, you know, we open up this week. You, you know, tell me about that. And I just take anybody, you know, it's like if you, and that only worked out badly, you know, a couple times when I, I think it's, a, it's it was mothers. You know, they saw the channel and their their kids watching it. And they think, oh, I'll send him there. He'll he'll become a man working with these guys. It's like, you know, you, you took 18 years messing this kid up. You do not send him down and get him straightened out in a matter of a week. Yeah, he needs he needs a lot more than that. You know, go find somebody to marry and get him a, a father. But I'm not going to be that guy. You know, I, I have a drill sergeant that's just right under the surface. I take so much and then that's it. You know, so, that, uh, so but by and large, you know, 99.9% of these guys that came in, they they either want to learn something or they want to learn something, but they already know something else. And so some days I was teaching and other days I was learning because I had professional engineers and welders. And I had guys like uh, uh, Chris Gasson is an example. He's a kid from Germany. 
never welded in his life. You know, so he comes up in and flies in and uh, what do I, you know, I said, well, I'm, we're going to weld frames into the engine room floor. And so I give him the welder and it's like, you know, the first weld looks pretty good. The second one, it looked as good as mine. And I've been doing it for years now. It's like, okay, dude, you're, you're a welder, you know? So he welded all these frames in. It's like, you know, so he, he just loved doing that and enjoyed it. So how many different countries ended up working on the boat? Well, there's a map on my website. If you go to about us crew uh, or, or meet our crew, uh, it'll give you a map of the world and shows you all the dots. So until COVID, you know, Europe was hot in France and, and Belgium and Norway and all that. And then the United States, of course. And I even got a dot from India and one from, you know, uh, you know some other places way out. But, uh, Australia, I think I got three dots down in Australia. That's a long trip. But they mixed it in sometimes with vacations. You know, these guys, uh, uh, well, no, he didn't. He came up here just to, just to work on the boat. Well, he liked looking at American bars. So in the nighttime, he'd go do one of our sports bars and then come back the next day. And he, and he welded in Max. And he welded in all these studs. I have hundreds, no more like thousand or so metal studs welded to the inside of the hull. And that holds the walls on, you know. And he would just, man, it's like he'd show up at 8 a.m. And I'd, I'd get in my dockers and go to work. I was still working back then. He'd weld these things in all day long. I'd come home at lunch and, you know, have some lunch with him. Five o'clock, he knocks off and goes to the bar. Next morning, he's back on it. You just There's there's all kinds out there. The website is SV Seeker. SV Seeker, yeah. It's our YouTube channel, the website, and Facebook. What is the SV for? SV stands for Sailing Vessel. She's actually a motor sailor, but yeah. And so there's MV for motor vessel and RV for research vessel and that's an FV for fishing vessels. But I read online that she's going to be a bit of everything. She is. We want her to be a free of charge research vessel. So if you're a college student or a professor or somebody and you've got this great idea, but you don't have National Science Foundation backing you yet with a grant, but you got to get out of the water and find this thing or prove this thing, then we're your boat. Because uh, if I'm anywhere near, I'll get over there and I'll stay on site with you until your work is done. So we're going to be, you know, strictly focused to what this person's work is. And we'll have to build into that. Like, first, we need to learn how to sail the boat to be good. And then we'll learn how to work around the water, uh, lift bags and dive boards and dive planes and that sort of thing. And uh, so we'll start off doing easy work. Like, we can go out to Antigua this winter and destroy fish traps. Because they drop these traps down on the bottom for, for collecting fish. And then there's a line and a buoy on the top and they come back and pull it up like a crab trap, you know. But when the line gets cut, the buoy floats away. They don't know where the fish trap is anymore. Well, it's still down there doing its work. So fish go in, they die. Another fish goes in, it dies. So every once in a while, you need to go through and clean those things out and destroy them. You basically tear them apart and haul them out. And then there's they have this lion fish uh, infestation throughout the Caribbean. And they're still working on different ways of doing that. But a lot of it is cataloging and killing the lionfish that are there. It's an invasive species and they just eat, you know, it's like the locusts coming across the, the, the fields in Kansas and Oklahoma. It just, they, they'll devour everything. They get out of control. So the job is to go out, monitor their population and kill as many of them as you possibly can. And there's some other things you can do along the ways too. Like you get restaurants to start serving them and say, oh, it's a delicacy. It's like, yeah, fine, it's a lionfish. It tastes like, fish you know but did people throw them from their tanks or something how did they how did the line how that got started that's a good question but they're sweeping us across the uh the caribbean and becoming a problem everywhere Mm -hmm. and some places have gotten them under control just because enough tourists are going out there and hunting them down with spear guns and killing them so that's a way to do it but we need a longer term uh solution to it there was one group they were trying to teach bull sharks to eat the lionfish I don't know exactly how you do that, but that sounds great. You know, I'd love to be part of a project like that. <laughs> That's just a bizarre image of a trainer with a little bag yeah. of lionfish treats. <laughs> yeah, here, bull shark, here, come on. It's a little, oh, no, not that part. Uh, I love that it's going to be a vessel for people from all over the world and that it was a vessel built by people from all over the world. This is a lovely uh, we metaphor. We call it the boat the internet built. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah. And we also have a uh, saying that says we build it right because we build it twice. 
Is that true? Yeah, a lot of times. Sometimes it's more like 12 times. But anyway, we get it right eventually. What did the neighbors think of this giant thing being put together in your yard? You know, I, they love it. I, uh, I'm, I'm not there anymore. The boat's in the water and I'm gone. The house is sold. Um, but it was fun. I, I grew up with these people. I mean, uh, uh, Cynthia and Henry are my neighbors. And, uh, you know, I watched Cynthia grow up as a little kid in that house and knew her parents. And it, you know, you think people think it's like a homeowners association. I've lived in one of those. And no, no, it's it's the other end of the spectrum from the homeowners association. This is when they collect money for United Way at your you know local corporate office. This is the neighborhood they're collecting the money for. And so living in that neighborhood was fantastic. I was even scared of that. You know, it's like this is North Tulsa. You know, this is where you hear gunshots routinely. And you know, after living there for a while, it was funny because I had a guy over and. The, the gunfire just opens up back behind us. You know, I just keep on working. And he's, what is that? Yeah, it's gunshots. You know, <laughs> they're not close. They're okay. You know, you, you, get, you acclimate to it. And you learn that there's bad people there. There's also really good people there. And so that was a fantastic lesson for me, again, on that, you know, breaking that shell and getting out and living in the world rather than just thinking about it or hearing about it or watching the news about it, which is just pathetic. Um, so. Uh, I had these neighbors that, you know, they need a loan. I can give them a loan. And you know what? It gets paid back. Uh, they need a welding done for a chair or a barbecue pit. Well, I'm the guy. In fact, I'll teach you how to do the welding. Um, you know, they need a snake pulled out of the, the attic. It's like, I'm not afraid of snakes. I grew up in a swamp. You know, I'll go get the snake. And there's a big black snake, beautiful thing. So, you know, so I'm that guy that can be called on to do things around your neighborhood. So if you, if you, think your neighbors have a problem with you, you're probably living in the wrong neighborhood for what you're doing. And I was living in the right neighborhood and I was the right kind of neighbor because I would stop, put down what I'm doing and go help anytime I could. And I could call them and say, hey, Henry, can you come over and help me pick this thing up? It's too heavy. Henry be around and pick it up. You know, uh, They wash my house. They have a party. I shut down early. I'm not, not making any noise. I hand all my chairs over the fence. You know, it's the kind of neighborhood you, it's like Norman Rockwell, just without the money. You know, that's the only thing. And I just love it. If I had no boat, I would go back and live in that neighborhood because of those people there. Mm. I loved it that much. I do think it's a lost art knowing the neighbor. Yes. Being neighborly is a lost art. Yeah, because I lived in a homeowners association. I don't have to know him. He didn't have to ask for anything. He's got money to hire a plumber, you know, his electrician. You know, he didn't ever work on his car, you know, in this neighborhood. Everybody needs help to do anything, but we have one guy that lays bricks. We have another guy that's a framer. We have, we have a guy that works for electrician, you know, so everybody's got these skills and sets that we can, we can share and figure it out. It's funny to walk around a neighborhood and smile at people and how they get all off put by that because <laughs> they're not used to it. <laughs> yeah. You're living in the wrong neighborhood. Yeah. I knew or... my neighbors by name. I could wave at them. They'd wave back. I'd pull, you know, I'd stop on the car on the way down the street and ask about the kids. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was, it's a fantastic way to live your life. Tell me about Greg Cotton. Greg Cotton. You know, Greg, not personally. He's one of these. He's a pretty typical guy. He, uh, now he was flying for FedEx back then. And so every time he was driving across the country to go to a new FedEx station to fly one of their, their puddle jumpers, he'd, uh, he'd stop through and, uh, boy, Greg's been at my place dozens of times. Um, and he's, he's one of those guys, you know, he, he grew up building things and working on things. He's a, he's a submariner. I mean, diesel boats, this guy's, you know, started off back then. And so uh, he and I dove, uh, I built a submarine too. It's kind of a, in the process of building boat. Well, okay. I always wanted to build this submarine, but you needed five tons of lead to baluster. And all of a sudden it's like, well, I had five tons of lead because I'm going to use it in the sailboat. So I thought, okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to build this submarine. And uh, Greg and I took that thing down to um, um, uh, 10 killer, a lake and dove that thing for two weeks. And so we, we survived that. That was a, that was a fantastic couple of weeks. And so he's dropped by throughout my whole uh, build. And I don't remember how many years he's been coming by. Uh, he still does it now occasionally, but he's, he's onto something else. Now he rides, you know those little railroad cars that they used to put put down the railroad track to service the 
he had, there's a group of these guys that have those and they, they're like a little convention. So they'll go out to some beautiful places where the track is narrow gauge too. And they'll put all their little, and they go down the, down the railroad track. And it's like, so he does that. So even then he heading South, he'll stop through and, and help out on the boat. So I wonder if I've seen him do it. Cause I have watched the video of those guys doing that. It's so funny. Yeah. 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 Put putt cars in one of my videos too. I don't remember. They call them speeders. Yeah. That's an oxymoron. Okay. Yeah. Not a, there's nothing fast about that thing. I'm trying to picture somebody putting a submarine into the water for the first time that they built. That's, oh. that is some faith. <laughs> that's, that's the video you got to watch because it came unhitched from the car while I was backing it down the ramp. And so it went in rather quickly, still attached to its trailer. But you know what turns out that was fantastic. It was a great fast way to get it in the water. And so the next time we launched it, we actually backed down the, the ramp and took a tractor jack and just jacked it off the hitch and let trailer and submarine and everything go into the water. So yeah, sometimes you learn things that, that, was, that felt so much like my dad, you know, it's like that happened wrong, but Hey, it's great. We'll do it again that way next time too. Happy accidents. Yeah. Happy accidents. Yeah. What's next? What's the plan? The plan is to uh, Saturday. I sailed down to sail. We, we motor down to Kerr. We've made some changes on the boat already to hopefully improve the performance some. We broke something, but we're going to operate without it. And then down on Kerr, that's the first. The, the, so we're on what's called the MCAR, it's the McKellen Kerr, Arkansas River Navigational System. It's basically uh, the Arkansas River, but they put locks on it so you can get barges and larger traffic up the river. Well, we're going down from the very top, uh, Lock 18, and we'll drop finally into the Mississippi. But there's a lake along the way called Kerr, and then uh, and that's in Oklahoma, and it's got a small section, but we can still sail on it. And so we'll uh, learn how to sail this summer um, on the bottom end of Kerr Reservoir or Kerr Lake. Then we'll go on down, you know, this fall and uh, get into the Gulf of Mexico after hurricane season. Because hmm. I don't want to learn to sail the Gulf with hurricane season. No, you don't. Although yeah, I, that'll I push you along real fast. <laughs> how many in the crew? Well, it's very, so it's still like, uh, it's still like building the boat. If you have a, an opportunity, uh, and some time off, you, you see where I am and you come back in and it, we'll take uh, newbies as well as my old crew. Now, right now, I really like having my old crew around because I know them, they know me, uh, but we'll continue to work it like that. So you'll come on board for a week, two weeks, a month, and then, uh, you know, meet us wherever we are, do whatever work needs to be done on the boat for a researcher, hopefully eventually. And then off you go back to an airplane and back home wherever that is. So whose crew is just depends on who's available. Did you have any all is lost moments that you had to push through? I got a divorce along the way. That's pretty oh, no. dang close. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because of the project? Well, I mean, do you ever know? I, <laughs> we didn't have a written statement. Um, she's a great girl. Um, and yeah, I think she was itchy too for doing something new. And neither of us really knew how to say that. So we came to an agreement one day that this, this is probably best. We part ways. And um, yeah. And it was a rocky marriage all along. We made, you know, it's like building a boat. I, I was going to make that work, you know, I'm going to stick with this until it's done. Turns out that's not always the best thing to do for the other person. You know, sometimes you just need it. You're not going to get any, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be a jerk your whole life. So maybe you ought to stop being a jerk for her and let her go, you know? And so okay. we stopped going to marriage counseling. And it's like, okay, maybe a divorce is the right thing to do it. And I hope she is having as much fun as I am because that's, it's worked out well for me. That's anyway. Good. Yeah. I mean, so you don't stay in touch much. No, uh, it was actually very amicable until after the divorce. And there were some things that happened. Um, yeah, I don't want to go into it, but yeah, it fell apart. It was weird. You know, you got a divorce, you're separated, you're fine. Everything's good. She was following a, a, her path. Her dream job was a, a physical therapist assistant. She got into the school and everything. And then something happened that turned bad. And I'm a good scapegoat. So got it. I don't mind being the scapegoat. Got it. Got it. If somebody wants to volunteer with you and come down and work on the boat or be a part of that, they just go to the SV Seeker uh, yeah, website. Yeah, you watch some of the videos and you see what kind of jerk I am. 
And then you uh, you decide if you could handle that or not. And uh, yeah, you, you say, I'm, I'm available from this date on and give me a little bit of your, your background. I really don't, um, I have a video out there that actually has the qualifications, but they're not tough. You know, you have to be able to laugh easily. You have to be able to take a joke. Um, you have to be able, you know, because you're going to get ripped for something that you do on the boat. And if you fall apart, like a lot of people fall apart today, that's that didn't work well. You know, it's a, it, you're on a boat. You, there's no going home. You know, the job has to be completed. So we need people that are committed to things, can stay that, we can hold that, maintain that commitment. We need you in somewhat good physical shape because boats, you know, on the river, not so much, but on the ocean, you get thrown around if, you know, you got to be able to hold on and still work. Um, iron those things out, but most people can handle it. Um, so we try not to hide any of the, you know, it's, it's hot. It's, it's hard. You're going to be sore. Uh, the days are going to be sometimes boring, sometimes very long and arduous. You have to eat 50 lionfish a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't have to eat them, but you may have to kill them. <laughs> um, feed them to a bull shark, maybe. There you go. <laughs> so, oh, I, um, I don't know. You know, I haven't done that yet, so I don't know how hard it's going to be to pick up crew. Uh, the boat's actually built so it can be operated single-handed, which is remarkable for a boat that size, but she's Chinese junk rigged and she's a motor sailor. So there's uh, not a lot of sail work that needs to be done. Uh, she's not a fast boat by any means. I mean, I tell people I could beat anybody in a sailboat race as long as I get to hit their boat first because I'm steel. And they're probably plastic or wood. Those things come apart pretty easy. Steel's a little tougher, you know. Um, so it's um, it's something to be seen. You know, I, I think it's going to work out fine. Is it a letdown when you when you have that moment where you look at it and you think, okay, okay, I, I did it. Now what? No, 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 because see, that's that's something somebody that's never been on a boat would say. <laughs> no offense, big boats. There's always something to fix. I mean, there's no end to it. There's always something, and so there's. I haven't even reached the complete end of construction yet. I'm still working out where things are going to go and how things are going to work. I, I need to order some more hydraulic parts tonight. So, uh, and then it's going to be new situations you're getting into. We'll be, I'll be learning to sail on the ocean. I've done some of it now with one of my partners. Um, uh, Charlie said his, he's joined the, my crew some years back, but he's a professional sailor. So I've been out to Antigua with him and back. And man, was that a trip. Uh, that, was, that was a trip. And uh, I've learned so much from him already. Um, and he'll be back on the boat to, to do more. Um, the thing is about Chinese junks too, is nobody really sails Chinese junks anymore and hasn't for a oh, hundred years or so. So they're, uh, they're around in smaller versions with jibs. That's the type of sail out front. Uh, but in the version that we have, that we've built, uh, that's a very unique boat. And uh, there's not going to be anybody out there that says, oh, I have experience on that because it's bullshit. They don't. Um, so it'll be kind of interesting because there'll be a learning experience for, for all of us, literally. I mean, it'll be something new to do. That's exciting. Yes, very exciting. I guess you got your wish to have adventure. Your dad would be proud. I do. And I don't think the ocean's ever uh, adventureless. You know, stay out in it long enough and the weather will change and it will become sporty, as we like to say, pretty quickly. So yeah. I've been out in sporty and I like it because it really answered all of the, it, it ticked off all of those boxes. You know, something new, hard to do, dangerous, you know, life-threatening even, scary. And so it gives you your ability to work your way up that ladder. Do you take donations and things? Yeah, um, I'm actually doing very well. You, um, I have a little pension from my work and we have Patreon for people that want to support us. So what we're doing a lot now is we're collecting money that will be used for researchers. So if you're a college student that has, you know, you want to do something with bioluminescence and jellyfish or something boring like that. I don't think that's boring, but actually it sounds kind of exciting. But anyway, and but you need money getting out to the boat. You need money for some equipment, you know, food supplies. Uh, we can actually set you up with that as well. You ship off when? Oh, I'm just going down to the lake uh, Saturday. 
It's just 50 okay. more miles down the river. And I'm going to spend oh. the summer there learning okay. to sail this thing. Hopefully yeah. I got a lot of work to do on it still. I love it. And then uh, we'll, we'll go on down the Mississippi um, this fall before it starts to rain. How many people can stay on the boat at once? Oh, so she's got, uh, so the boat has a berth for a berth for four up front, two in the back, and then we can put two more in the pilot house. And then we got a large cargo hold that we could swing hammocks through. So it really depends on uh, what the work is that needs to be done. Like if you need somebody to watch something 24 seven around the clock, then you're going to need more staff to do that. If it's just, uh, we're going to go dive and count birds twice a day, then you don't need much staff for that. So it just kind of depends on what the work is and then who I have that's available that happens to want to show up. You know, you can always take more people and then it's like, okay, if you're not counting birds, then there's this little welding project down in the engine room that I need to take care of. Mm-hmm. So it'll, uh, there'll always, there's always something to do on a boat. I really do appreciate you taking the time. I know your time's kind of limited, so thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It's, yeah. I'm in an air-conditioned house right now, so I think I'm, this is this is fantastic. I, I imagine it. it gets boiling hot working on the inside of a boat in Oklahoma. It, it does, and I'm learning to sleep in it too. So, you know, it's it got down to 85 last night. That felt pretty good. So we'll see. I'm, oh. I'll, you, you know, we grew up like that. I didn't even we didn't even think about it as kids, right? Yeah, but kids endure so much better than I and mean, we used to run around in the snow in the Pacific Northwest and right. 20 degrees. We'd be in shorts and barefoot running around and yeah. didn't even blink an eye. Yeah. I, I think we just learn not to. And I, I think we can unlearn that too. I know we can. I know I have to. You know, I watch these guys work on they're they're tarring a roof in the middle of summer. Oh like, <laughs> yeah, I could it's survivable. So it's just a matter of you have to learn to enjoy it. Yeah. Look at firemen. They're lugging all that weight and going yeah. into thousands yeah. of degrees. Yeah. 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 I used to, I used to live in Phoenix and I, I'd worked in, I lived in Gilbert and worked in Scottsdale and I would drive the, the back road through the Indian reservation. And every morning or afternoon, even the, the fire crew would be out there running along the, uh, that's where their training center was. They'd be out there running along the canal in full gear. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I don't got anything to complain about. Nothing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. It's definitely no joke. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Well, I'm excited to see where the adventure takes you. Yeah, me too. Thank you for being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Rate, review, and subscribe to Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye. Bye.